This morning is not about legal issues or county issues or buildings or land use or anything like that. This, this morning is about a far more important matter. It's about the heart. See, all these other things, God will take care of that. God will work through and deal with whatever He has to work through and deal with in His way and His time. But the issue of greatest concern to our Father is the heart. While we might be distracted and look at other issues, other things going on in our lives, and consider how are we going to deal with this, or what, what decisions do we need to make about that, the Lord is looking down on this fellowship this morning, and He wants to get into your heart. This is one of the amazing things about our Father. It's something that I cannot do. I can stand up here and I can look each one of you in the eye and not have a single clue what's going on. You hide it so well. <laughs> I hide it so well. that we don't really know what, what's deep inside. What are the thoughts? What's happening in the heart? Where are we? Jesus looks into each one of our eyes this morning and knows exactly what's going on. He looks with grace. He looks with mercy. He looks with gentleness and kindness. And He looks to see first if there is a heart that is open to Him getting involved. And then second, He looks to see what in that heart needs repair, needs cleansing, needs washing, needs tenderness. Don't forget that because this morning's teaching is really a teaching from the Lord. Obviously, every time we open the Bible, it's a teaching from the Lord, but this morning, Jesus begins to teach. He'll do something that we haven't seen yet in Matthew. He'll begin to teach in parables. And the first one He gives here is, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but I think by far the most important. We'll see why. Let's, let's just begin looking at this. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1. That day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of, depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus, I believe this parable is as much for us this morning as it was for people beside the sea 2,000 years ago. And I know having read this and studied it and prayed it through, Father, I know that You have something You want to do with us personally, individually this morning. Jesus, You said, He who has ears, let him hear. Let us hear today. But not with, with the audible eardrum. Let us hear with our hearts this morning. Let us receive in the very ground of our hearts what You want to do in and among us today. Lord Jesus, I pray Your Holy Spirit would break up the fallow ground and You would make Your way into our hearts and take root deep and make changes and grow us, Father. 
We ask Your Spirit to be our guide and teacher through this as we consider these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a new friend, which is always kind of nice. A friend named Ray. I had lunch with Ray last week, and we sat down and we were talking about several things. And, and the thing I love about Ray is he is a, he's an intellectual Christian. He really thinks things through, and he throws out these great, tough Bible questions. It's one of my favorite things to do is just sit around and talk about it. So what do you think about this? Well, how about that? What do you think this means? And, and we did that for, for near three hours this last week, back and forth. And Ray asked a question, a great question. He said, why don't we have a gospel according to Jesus? We have the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, gospel according to Luke, gospel according to John. Why don't we have a gospel according to Jesus? Now, the obvious answer is all four of those gospels are about Jesus, Right? But why didn't Jesus write one himself? As a matter of fact, why don't we have anything in the way of letters or writings from Jesus himself? Most founders of most world religions write something down. All we have is what was written about Jesus. What we know that he said, written by those who were there with him, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And and you know, it's certainly not for lack of teachings. Because Jesus, we know has the reputation of being the greatest teacher ever to walk the face of the earth. He taught in a way nobody else taught. Even the the Jews of that time said he teaches not like our scribes or our Pharisees. He, He doesn't teach like our rabbis. He teaches differently. He has an authority that's unique. And this morning we see Jesus again doing something that we have not seen Him do before, at least not to this extent. He begins teaching in parables. Now I want you to understand what a parable is. You've heard the word, probably if you grew up going to church, you you know a parable is one of those stories Jesus taught. Well, the parable has an interesting meaning. It's a Greek word combining two Greek words, para and balo. Para, balo. Para means alongside and balo means to throw, like you would throw a ball. It's easy to remember that word, balo. Throw a ball, alongside throw. In other words, a parable is to throw alongside. The idea was to take to take some kind of physical, tangible reality and place it belong, or alongside, throw it alongside some kind of spiritual truth so you could understand the spiritual truth better. To throw alongside. A parable uses a known reality to explain an unknown mystery. And Jesus' use of parables in His teaching reveals something both of the character of the Lord and the character of man. From God's side of things, the Lord loves to bring things to light. You could say God loves a good mystery. Of course, He already knows the answer to the end of the mystery. He's never surprised, but He loves to hand us a mystery. The Lord, I believe, loves to say, here's something, think about this. And we go, oh, I don't get that at all. And He goes, I know, let me tell you what it means. I see this in the heart of our Father. Job chapter 12, verse 22, Job says, He reveals mysteries from the darkness and brings the deep darkness into light. Daniel the prophet said, It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. Daniel said in Daniel 2.28, There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I just think the Lord loves to do it. Like a parent on Christmas morning, watching the kids open the packages, the parent knows what's inside, but it's such a thrill to watch your kids do that. They're going to discover what it is, and I see that in the Lord all the time. As we open up our Bibles, as we kneel to pray, there is something of the discovery process that God loves to see happening in us. And by the way, that's that's something of our character. 
The Lord loves to bring things to light, but the Lord also knows that the best way for us to own our faith is by self-discovery. I don't mean discovery of the self. That just kind of gets you headed the wrong direction. But personal discovery. The best way to own your faith is by personal discovery. Not by having it told to you by someone else, but by finding it on your own. That is opening up the Scriptures. And as you pour over them yourself, seeing something, I've never seen that before. Well, now you own that. It belongs to you. Proverbs 25, verse 2 tells us it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. There is something noble about discovering the truths that God has for us. That's why we pour over the Scriptures. They yield faith discovery. And that's what the parables are about. In fact, we're going to talk about this quite a bit more on Wednesday night. The reason why Jesus taught in parables, why He chose to say these things, and oftentimes He would give a parable, as with the sower with the seed, He'll say it, and He gives no explanation. And the people standing around are going, Huh, what's He talking about? Later, His apostles are going to gather around and go, Lord, that was a great parable. What does it mean? <laughs> and sometimes he'll take his apostles, as with this parable, and explain it to them, but he doesn't explain it to anybody else. He leaves them hanging. Why? So that they will discover. In Jesus' teaching, he is often looking for a heart that is open with faith. A heart that is ready to receive. And the parables go right to the heart of the matter. Verse 11 of chapter 13, Jesus says to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. These seven parables of Jesus in Matthew 13 alone use well-known truths to unveil the mystery, listen to me, the mystery of the kingdom. In this chapter, it's all about the kingdom. But it's about the mystery kingdom. I want to say this as clearly as possible because I think it's incredibly important we understand this. It's something that's often misunderstood. From this point onward in Matthew's Gospel, the phrase kingdom of heaven does not refer to the literal establishment of the kingdom on earth. Of that millennial kingdom that we've talked about so many times in here. That the Old Testament prophets prophesied was to come. That John in Revelation said is going to come. It's going to be a reign of a thousand years. Well, the kingdom talked about in Matthew 13 is not that kingdom. Not the literal fulfillment. This kingdom, the kingdom of heaven here, now speaks of the mysterious kingdom which came into play when Jesus returned to heaven. It is the kingdom that is at work now, within us and among us. It is a spiritual kingdom. It's not seen by man. It's not understood by man. In fact, as Jesus taught in the parables of the kingdom, a lot of times, as we see in Matthew 13, He doesn't explain it. Because it's not a man-made thing. It's not about the people grabbing hold of Jesus and making Him king right then and there. It's a spiritual thing that would happen prior to the coming of that literal kingdom. Bible students, remember, it's been a week or two since we've looked at this, but back in chapter 12, the Jewish leaders rejected the kingdom. They rejected the king. Remember how they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Saying that the things Jesus was doing were done by the power of Satan and not by the power of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy. It's the one thing Jesus said, you're walking a fine line. You're on the point of no repentance. Because now you're looking at the things that God is doing and you're saying they are of the enemy. And this is where the Jewish leaders were at. 
They reject the kingdom. They reject the king. They cross that point. They blaspheme the Spirit. And notice how Matthew begins the new chapter. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And I can't help but wonder if when Matthew wrote that, I wonder is it possible that the house Jesus went out of was in reality the house of Israel. That that day He went out of the house. That at this point, Jesus said, alright, you've rejected the kingdom and I am stepping out of this house. Is it possible Matthew is implying the result of this rejection? The kingdom of Israel offered by and through Messiah, had been rejected, at least in the heart of the leadership. And so Jesus now begins to unveil a mystery. He begins to explain a unique kingdom. Now, I I pause to, to be careful about this, to try and explain this, because there are two explanations of the kingdom that are often confused, that they don't understand. One explanation is kingdom now theology. I've mentioned it. It's also called dominionism. It seeks to to teach that the kingdom of the Old Testament prophets is now. It seeks to teach that we have the power to somehow pull the kingdom into the now. We don't. That is not of us. That theology misunderstands the two kingdoms that Jesus talks about. The one kingdom is the literal kingdom to come, fulfilling those Old Testament prophecies. And the other kingdom, the mystery kingdom, that is at work spiritually in and through us today. Another theology that's that's confused in this is replacement theology. That states that Israel lost the kingdom completely, never to receive it again. That kingdom has been given to the church and Israel is out on its ear. And again, it's a misunderstanding of what the scripture truly teaches. Both positions fail to see the two biblical explanations of the kingdom. Let me read to you from a moment from the book of Amos. The book of Amos, chapter 9. In verse 11, this is the Lord speaking through the prophet Amos, and he's speaking about Israel. Listen to what he says. In that day I will raise up the fallen tent of David, and I will wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, days are coming declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, when the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved. And I will restore the captivity of my people Israel. And they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. And they will plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land. Listen, and they will not again be rooted out from their land which I have given them, says the Lord your God. A guarantee of a literal kingdom that would be restored to Israel. That is promised to come. But that's the kingdom that is foretold by the Old Testament prophets. But Jesus now begins to talk about a unique kingdom. Currently the kingdom of the Hebrew prophets is on hold while the kingdom of heaven takes root in the soil of the heart. Right now, the spiritual kingdom is in play. It's not the rule and reign of Jesus from Jerusalem over the whole world, as Zechariah promised. But it's the rule and reign of Jesus over your heart, over my heart, and then by extension, into the world. John 16, verse 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. 
And He, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. How does He do it? How is it that the Holy Spirit would come and convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Gang, this is a mystery, but it's wonderful. He does it in and through the church. Jesus says, I'm going to send My Spirit to you. My Spirit is going to fill you. And through you, My Spirit is going to work in the world in a way that I have never worked before. In this first parable, parable, Jesus tells us how the Spirit does that as He reveals the mystery of the kingdom of heaven in the heart and how the kingdom gets into our heart. This parable, by the way, is the key to unlocking all the other parables. If you get this one, the rest of them will make sense. If you miss this one, or if you misunderstand the parable of the sower and the seed, you're going to have a hard time understanding the rest of the parables. Jesus said in Mark 4.13, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? This one's critical. You've got to get it. Going back, let's look at it. Verse 2. It tells us that large crowds gathered to Him, so He got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd was standing on the beach. The teacher sat. And the people stood. I kind of like that arrangement. Maybe we could give that a try some. I'll just sit down up here. You guys stand up and we'll do it that way. I like that concept. Verse 3. And He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as He sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears... Let him hear. Two things to know immediately about this parable. Before someone starts attaching some fanciful, allegorical meanings, this is very simple. Understand the sower is Jesus. The sower is Jesus. Matthew 13, 37, he will tell us. Jesus himself will say, the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Jesus is the sower. Very simple. So what's the seed? The seed is the Word. The seed is The Word. Luke chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus says, Now the parable is this, The seed is the Word of God. Now someone might say, Well, isn't Jesus Himself also the Word of God? Exactly. He is. John 1.14 tells us, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I've said this over and over, and I will say it over and over again. If I don't say this at least once a Sunday, I'm probably missing it. I want to say to you that Jesus is the key to unlocking all of Scripture. That as much as this parable is the key to understanding the parables, Jesus is the key to understanding the Bible, to understanding the Word of God. The sower is Jesus. The seed is the Word which reveals Jesus. And number three, the soil is the human heart. The soil is the human heart. Kind of a problem. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is bad soil. The heart, when left to its own devices, will always choose sin. That is our sin nature. That's the problem. That's the problem in our lives. That's why bad things happen. It's why we make stupid decisions. Even when we're trying really hard, it's why we fail. Now I want to point something out and you need to just kind of tuck this away we'll come back to it later but there's a a word for soil in this parable 
The soil. The, the soil is the human heart. But the word for soil in the Greek, it's two letters. It's gamma, eta. It's gay. If you're spelling that out, you wouldn't spell it G-A-Y. You'd spell it G-H-E-Y. Gay. It's kind of the way you would say that in the Greek. And there are four distinct types of soil that Jesus mentions in this parable, depending on how they react to the seed. The hard pan, soil of the road. The rocky places where there isn't much soil at all, kind of like my property. The thorny soil, filled with thistles and briars, also like my property. And and the good soil, which is that dark, rich, brown earth that always yields a good crop. So as Jesus, the sower, sows the seed, the word, the soil, which is parabolic of the human heart, responds in four different ways. So as we read this, understand, each one of these soils are the heart. And Jesus wants to get into the heart. That's His focus. That's His desire. I want you to ask yourself as we understand and explain what these soils indicate. Ask yourself this question. It's a hard one. Jim um, was saying to me before he came up for communion that he really had a strong sense that there was healing that needed to take place and not necessarily physical healing, but spiritual. That there, there was some heart problems going on this morning. And, I, and he said, could we maybe have some time for, for prayer and anointing? And, and we'll have time for that. But I want you to, to understand something. I, I told him this. I believe Jesus this morning wants to deal with our hearts. And I'm inviting you to ask the question as we study through this, which soil am I? Which soil best reflects my heart personally? No one else needs to know but you and God. Which of the four soils reflects your heart? Well, Jesus begins to explain. We're going to skip ahead to verse 18. He says, Here then, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. What has been sown in his heart? This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. First heart. What you would call a road heart. Road hearts. Road hearts are superficial. Road hearts... The seed doesn't get in. It lands on top and does not penetrate. And I see this even on Sundays. I do have some perception. I can tell, and and it's it's funny to me because people, you get in, when you're in the church, when you're sitting down here and you're looking up front, you really think, I think some people do, at least I did growing up, that the pastor doesn't have any idea what I'm doing. You get into that place where you're in church and he's up there and he's in the Word so he doesn't really know what's going on. I see, what's, I see everything. <laughs> I know when you're telling little jokes with your friends. I know when you're passing notes. I know when things are going on. I see it all. The only reason I don't say anything about it is, well, A, I don't want to be a jerk and B, I figure, hey, it's between you and the Lord. It's your heart and His. But this heart, I, I, I see, and, and honestly, it breaks my heart to see someone who it's, it's just not getting in. There's not a word I can say that will get it in. The seed lands on top and goes, ting, 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 and just sits there. And Jesus says, you know what happens to that seed? The evil one snatches it away. The picture is of the birds. I've mentioned before that birds are a picture of evil in the Bible. (laughs) Especially the ones that fly around in here. That the bird comes, it's a picture of the evil one, comes into that seed, picks it up, snatches it away. Why don't people with, with road hearts get it? It's very simple. They miss Jesus. They miss Jesus. Why don't people, some will come to the Bible and say, man, I've read that book, I don't understand it. It's because you're not looking for Jesus. 
That's the simple explanation to why people don't get the Word when it's sown on top of the heart. Why it sprinkles out and spreads out but doesn't drop in because you're not looking for Jesus. You may be looking in the Bible to find some other thing, but you're missing Jesus. Remember again, the seed is the Word and the sower is Jesus, and if you don't get that the Word is about Him and the Word is Him, you will miss Him. Now don't get me wrong, there are are all kinds of great fringe benefits to Bible study. There are all kinds of practical and relevant life learning skills to be discovered and found in the Word of God. But if you're approaching the Bible with any motivation other than seeing and knowing Jesus Christ, you are in danger of developing road heart. And there's an awful lot of road heart in the church today. Because tragically, the church has gotten away from looking for Jesus in the Scriptures and has gotten into trying to figure out how the Scripture is relevant to teaching me a life learning skill today. I'm going to pull out of the Proverbs something that helps me live my life better, or something that makes my marriage better, or something that helps me in business and finance. I'm going to pull these little nuggets of truth out. You know, those nuggets of truth are in there. But if you approach the Word not looking for Jesus, you will develop road heart. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness... He's conceited and understands nothing. He has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words. Ever talked to somebody about like that? They just want to pull out one verse after another and and debate and and pull out the controversy. And try and show you how it doesn't work. They're missing Jesus. It's road heart. Paul said to Titus in Titus 3.9, Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law. They're unprofitable and worthless. The point is this, first and foremost, the declaration of Jesus Christ as our great God and Savior is the point of Scripture. Again, a verse I use a lot, Hebrews 10.7, In the scroll of the book it is written of me. Jesus says. Revelation 19.10, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Road hearts don't grasp the word because they miss Jesus and consequently the devil comes and snatches the word away from them and even those little practical skills that they've been looking for don't work. Even those get lost. And by the way, people with road hearts are the ones described as tares among the wheat in the next parable. Road hearts in the church are a danger to the church itself. And if you want to find more about that, find out more about that, come Wednesday night. Verse 20. Verse 20, he goes on to the next, to the next soil. He said, The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Second type of heart, rocky hearts. As much as road hearts are superficial, rocky hearts are shallow. Immediate reception without any internal retention. This is the person who hears the word, receives the word, but does not dig into the word. It's superficial Christianity, and again, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that floating along and showing up. It's the Oprah Dr. Phil approach to the Bible. Pastor Skip Heitzig calls, calls this the Alka-Seltzer Christian. I think it's a great picture. Lots of fizz right at first, but it all dies out. Very exciting thing. I remember the first time I saw Alka-Seltzer as a kid. It impressed me. 
stuff went in there and bubbled and I'm like, wow, cool, watch that, you know. He, he, we didn't have video games in those days, so we didn't really have a whole lot to do. <laughs> Just watch that glass fizz out, and then and it was gone. And you had to drink it while it was fizzing. In fact, you had to really drink it while that little pill was still in there because if you waited too long, it was like nasty water. Just didn't do much for you. It's the person who shows up because of, the, of what the church can do for them. Because of the programs that happen to be going on in the church at the time. But when it gets tough or challenging, they're out the door. When it gets hard, they're gone. Jesus calls this persecution because of the Word. If someone in this position who wanders into work one day and gets challenged on the legitimacy of the Bible and they shut up and never talk about their Christianity again because it rattles their faith to the core because what they've got is shallow. It's not a deep faith. It's not deep into the Word. Have you ever known persecution because of the Word? It will come to anyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. Persecution because of the Word will come to you and it will do one of two things. It will either undermine and destroy your faith or it will immensely increase your faith. Because when that persecution comes, if you have more depth than the rocky heart, you will be driven back to the Word to understand it better. To see what's going on inside. It can undermine and destroy your faith or it can immensely increase your faith as it did with the Apostle John. I love this description. John says in Revelation 1.9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, I was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John was exiled as the rest of the apostles one by one were martyred for their faith because of the persecution of the word. John would not stop teaching the word. He ends up in exile because of it. That's the persecution of the word. And had John's faith been a rocky faith, a shallow faith, he never would have lasted, nor would any of the other guys. Nor can you, nor can I. The rocky, shallow Christian will fizz out when the heat is turned up. Verse 22. The next soil, the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Number three, the restless heart. The restless heart. And this is the heart that gets strangled. Now I mentioned we see the other two in the church quite a bit. I see this heart more than any other heart in America today. The restless heart. It's it's that restless anxiety for life and living. It's people who come and hear the Word, but the Word itself gets choked out by the weeds. The weeds of finance and trying to make the mortgage payment. The weeds of of cancer affecting a family member. The weeds of problems in your life and the cares of the world and the anxiety. Man, i got so much i got to get done. I just don't have time for church stuff right now. I don't have time to go to Bible study. I don't have time to even open a Bible. i just got to deal with life. And guess what's happening? You're getting choked. You're getting choked. You're trying to grow up in the Lord. You know the Lord is right. You've given your, your life to me. You have faith. But, but man, it's just getting harder and harder. It gets choked out. How many Christmas catalogs are sitting on your counters at home? <laughs> See, Phil, you do the same thing that I do. They just stack up. Starting long about, oh, I don't know, June or July, they start coming. And they get more and more and more until we can hardly open the mailbox. There's so I can't even believe all the places that have come up with ways to tell you this is what you need this Christmas. A sign that says Elvis lives. 
Boy, I was looking for one of those. You know, there, there is stuff that's just people sit around creating ways to, to, to make money while we sit around going, oh yeah, I've got to get one. Oh yeah, I need that. We've got to fill our house with these things. And it's the cares of the world. Did, did you, by the way, did you watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? Anyone see that this year? Well, we, we recorded it. And then we were going back and watching it and fast-forwarding through the commercials. You know what we discovered? There were more commercials than there were floats. There was more time spent in advertising, literally, minute by minute, more advertising time than there was actual parade time. It was unbelievable. It was a time of selling. You know what, the, what, what, what weeds are? And Jesus says that the rocky, not the rocky person, the, um, the restless heart, the restless heart is the one where the weeds come up and they choke out the seed that's trying to grow. You know what weeds are? Weeds are invasive plants that reproduce aggressively. Invasive plants that reproduce aggressively. Now it's coming on winter here in Washington, but most of us are aware of the challenge of the weeds in the spring and in the fall. They just grow like wildfire, and it's never over. You notice how if you're trying to keep weeds out of your yard, that it is a constant, vigorous attempt to root out those nasty things. It's a daily siege. You against the weeds. And Paul says, you know what? It's like that in your Christian walk. It's like that in your faith. 1 Corinthians 9.26, he says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is one of the greatest leaders in the history of the church. And Paul says, on a daily basis, I am working out my faith. On a daily basis, I am in the gym of the Word. I am lifting. I am working out. I am running. I am boxing. But I'm not just boxing the area, and I'm not just running aimlessly through life. I am working it out with Jesus. Because otherwise, the weeds will grow. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.31, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. This is not a Sunday-to-Sunday thing that we deal with, gang. You truly want to grow in the Lord? It is a daily waking up and saying, Today, Lord, today, fight the weeds. I do not want a restless heart. I don't want a heart that's distracted by all kinds of things. So many things in our world today compete for our attention and our affection. It is absolutely amazing to me. The non-stop onslaught of stuff that's trying to get our eyes off of Jesus. What's going on in the church right now? This church. You've got to worry about the land. How are we going to pay for that? Wow. That's a tough one. We better spend some time on that. You know? Oh, well, what about the county? You've got to worry about the county. No, we've got to make sure we have plenty of meetings with lawyers. And, oh, I knocked that thing off completely, didn't I? We've got to have meetings with lawyers. We've got to do stuff. And that's our focus. In my own family, adoption. Trying to get these kids home. And there's so many things. So many things. And it's easy for the heart to become a restless heart. And again, I was so thrilled when I got up this morning to know that we aren't just going to be in the Word today. Because the Word grounds us. Not with restlessness, but with rest. There is peace here. In the heart that Jesus is working on. What are the weeds in your heart? What are those things that are competing for your affection for the Lord Jesus? What are the things that matter to you more than He does? What are the weeds? 
Verse 23, Jesus goes on. He says, The one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Number four, rich hearts. And I'm not talking rich financially, I am talking rich as in soil. As in that rich, deep brown potting soil. Stuff we go spend money to buy just to get it into our land, you know? The good soil. The soil that is fruitful. I, I mentioned before, after we built our house, there was a huge slash pile up on the uh, upper end of our property. And the slash pile was just all the leftover junk. It was the, the roots and the, the trees that we'd had to uproot and cut down and everything so that we could find a place for the house to be built. And it was 30 feet high. And, well, the slash pile wasn't, but the flames were. It just burned out. And afterwards, there's this big pile of ash there. And that is the most fruitful spot of land on my entire land, right there. <laughs> because that ash gets down into the ground, and now if you dig up that ground, it's rich. If I was going to plant a fruit tree anywhere, that's where I would do it. And that's the kind of soil that Jesus describes, rich hearts. Notice three things happen when the seed lands on that rich soil. The way the seed grows in that rich soil, it's, it's he who hears the word, and he who understands the word, And He then bears fruit and brings forth of the Word. That's the heart that has good soil. That's the rich heart. Hears the Word, but not just hears the Word, understands the Word, but doesn't just understand the Word, brings forth fruit because of that understanding. That it's not just a changed life, but it's a changed life now changing lives. It's a fruitful life. Just like that dark, rich potting soil that receives the seed, grows the seed, and develops it into full blossoming fruitfulness. James writes about this. James 1.21, he says, In humility, receive the word implanted. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. If you walk into church on a Sunday, hear the word, and walk out and think that's all you need to do, then it's a done deal, everything's fine, and get back to life, leaving the Word behind until next week. You are deluding yourself. You are missing the power. What am I supposed to do, Rick? Well, you take the Word, and you say, Lord, I want this to grow deep in me. You pray the Word. Lord, we were talking about the, the sower and the seed this morning. Lord, would you show me which heart I am? And, and would you develop in me that, that rich, deep soil? You know these people, the people with rich hearts. You've seen them. They're not only the ones who are growing themselves, they are sowing seed on others as well. They're like Jesus, the sower. They're fruitful in their life. They're the growers and nurturers of other people. They are sowing kingdom seed as they go. And by the way, this is really important. Did you hear what Jesus says? He implies something interesting. He says, people with this kind of heart, some bear a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. In other words, rich soil people, listen, we all grow at different rates. We all have a different yield in the fruit of our hearts. Some a hundredfold. There are those who, in the church, you're going to see them. They're the Billy Grahams of the world. Who, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. Now, I've heard Billy Graham speak. Have you ever heard him actually gone to a Billy Graham crusade and heard him speak or maybe seen him speak on TV. And I've listened to him and I've thought, okay, he's all right. I've heard better. He's not the greatest orator that I have ever heard in my life. He's good. 
But there are plenty of other guys that have listened to him and gone, now that guy knows how to preach. That guy is amazing. And yet Billy Graham just, there's a hundredfold yield in what he does. Why is that? Because that's what God chose for him. Probably because Billy Graham's heart could handle it a lot better than that other guy who could preach the word so-called better, at least to my ears. And there are those who come along and they, they yield 60-fold. And then there are those who yield 30-fold. In other words, it's, it's different. Not everyone will pray like you pray. Not everyone is going to read and understand Scripture like you read and understand Scripture. Not everyone is going to serve as well as you serve or sacrifice like you do or evangelize with your fervor. It's going to be different in all the soils of all our different hearts. And I just say that to say have a little grace with the ground of other people. And don't assume that because someone's not doing it the way you're doing it that they're not doing it as well. Their soil is different. And the yield is going to be different. This parable, gang, it's wonderful in its explanation of the way that we receive the word. Four different clear ways that Jesus says people receive the word. We've gone through those four. And I ask you again, consider, be honest with yourself. How would you rate the soil of your heart this morning? Where are you? I encourage you this week, go back over these soils and read them and say, which one am I? Where am I at? Two final things to note this morning. According to Jesus' parable, three-fourths of all people will not hear, receive, or grow the seed of the Word. Three out of four people are not going to get there. One out of four people, by this parable, one out of four of us here this morning is growing in the Lord. If you were to apply the statistic of, of this parable. Now, I'm not saying that this is a statistical absolute. I'm not saying that Jesus is saying only one, of, one in four of you get it and the rest of you are, are on your own. What I am saying, though, is that, gang, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. The gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus recognizes in this parable that it's the minority who receive the word implanted and grow. Whereas it's the majority who just don't get it. It's not judgment, but it is the truth. But there's some good news. Second thing to note is the response depends on the heart and not on the method of sowing. I love the picture of the sower. He's just out there chucking seed. This is what Jesus does. He comes into the world and He just begins to throw seed out. And some of the seed falls where it's supposed to fall in that good soil. Some out on the road, some in the rocky places, some among the thorns. But He's just throwing seed. Because to Jesus, He wants every single person to have an opportunity to hear. Everyone matters to Jesus. Regardless of what their heart looks like on the surface, He's throwing seed. He's like, come on, I'll get to anybody if you'll pay attention, if you'll listen. And here's the great thing about that. Soil can be changed. If you find yourself in one of these four places or one of the three that are negative, guess what? The soil can be changed. The soil can be altered. The rocks can be pulled out. The weeds can be picked. They can be ripped out by the root. The soil can be changed. Israel was the land of Israel by the late 1800s. It was a boggy, mosquito-filled, malaria-infested wasteland. It is not the land of Israel you see today. People would travel the land back in the 1800s and they'd say, why would anyone ever want to live in this, quote, God-forsaken place? Because it was God-forsaken. You go there today, it is absolutely different. You know, the Jewish people went in there and literally rolled back the swamps. 
foot by foot, back breaking, painstaking, daily work, they would roll back, they would bring in dirt, fill dirt, rocks, whatever they had to, and they would roll back the swamp. And they might only cover six inches to a foot in one day. But the next day they would be up at it again, and again, and again, until the swamps finally were gone, and they began to break up the ground, And now, the soil in the Galilee is some of the richest in the entire world. Agriculture in Israel is some of the best in the whole entire world because soil can be changed. Soil can be changed. The Lord says in Isaiah 55, verse 8, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. The seed goes out and the seed will find success. The question is, will that success be in your heart? Wherever your heart is this morning, will the soil be open to change? I began with a question. Why don't we have a gospel according to Jesus? And again, some would say that we don't need one because all the gospels are about Jesus. The Word is all about Him. And that's true. But there's something else here that my friend Ray was driving at when he asked me that question. He let me kind of fumble around with it for a few minutes and then when I, it was clear that I had no idea what he was getting at, he gave me the answer. Why don't we have a gospel according to Jesus? You know, there's only one time in all of the Bible when we see Jesus writing. One time. John chapter 8 tells us early in the morning, He came into the temple and all the people were coming to Him and He began to sat down and He sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court... They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, we're commanded to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for cursing him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger, he wrote on the ground. That's the only time in Scripture where Jesus writes. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Okay, there were two times. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone with the woman where she was, in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Listen to this, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Jesus wrote on the ground. Listen to me. It's the same word. The word ground here is that Greek word, K. Same word translated soil that Jesus uses in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. The gospel of Jesus is the good news. As Paul says, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You know why we don't have a Gospel of Jesus in the Scripture? Because Jesus is writing His Gospel on your heart. That's where the Spirit of God writes. 
That's where the Spirit of God wants to interact. That is, gang, I know this, it is His plea with each of us this morning that we would say, Lord, change my heart. Change my heart. Which soil are you? How's your heart this morning? If something's not right in your heart, you can't fix it yourself. You can't break up the ground yourself. You need the power of His Spirit. Lord Jesus, thank You for telling it like it is. We thank You for this parable that 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 so powerfully indicates the heart of man. Some of our hearts this morning are like the road, hard pan. Nothing's getting in. Father, it's because we are beaten down by the road of life, by things just rolling over us. There are so many who get pummeled by hardship that it just hardens the heart. Lord, there are others here this morning whose hearts are rocky. It's hard for Your Word to take root. Maybe they they come week in and week out and just don't get it. They don't understand. They need rocks to be removed. Father, there are those who have restless hearts this morning that are distracted. There are weeds all around. There are things pulling at them. There are things choking out the joy and the Spirit. And Jesus, we need You to pull some weeds this morning. Lord, we all want to be that fourth soil. We all pray to have hearts that are rich and deep and receiving of Your Word, that Your roots will go deep, that we would be like trees planted beside water. Yielding fruit, Lord, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirtyfold. doesn't matter just that we are yielding as You have poured out seed into our lives. Jesus, You are the heart changer. You're the one who makes the difference. And we invite You this morning over this fellowship to be at work in our hearts. To again, remove all other distractions from us. That we might truly have ears to hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name.